Okay, this is the uh, we're gonna go with the parish of Kisi. So I would like to mention again that this year is sponsored in memory of Mr. Gerald Moskowitzal by his family. Lilui Nishmash Gershon Alter Ben Yehuda Wolf Bracha. So there are two things about the parsha of uh, Kitisa that are incomprehensible. The first one we're not going to deal with, but the second one we will. The first thing that's incomprehensible is how it happened that B'nai Yisrael, after they received the Torah at Har Sinai, decided to do an act of idolatry. I mean, to us this seems absolutely um, remarkable or unacceptable or unbelievable I mean what was it what was it that uh, so you know there are different approaches to that question one approach might be that it wasn't real idolatry it was some sort of lesser form of idolatry I mean but that's the question that's the question that we can't uh, uh, get our heads around so easily but the second question, the question that we're going to deal with today, is the discussion that Moshe Rabbeinu had with the Kodesh Bochu about the future of the Jewish people. You didn't come. Oh, I know, it was Purim. Let me fill the gap. Uh, anyway, anyway, so there's a discussion between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Moshe Rabbeinu, in which HaKadosh Baruch Hu explains to Moshe Rabbeinu that uh, th- there's no hope for B'nai Yisrael. To do such a, to transgress in such a manner, to so obviously uh, deny the authority of heaven, while Moshe Rabbeinu was on Har Sinai, unforgivable it's an unforgivable thing and even though Moshe Rabbeinu was the defense counsel for B'nai Yisrael in this case there's really no defense that can be that can be offered there's no defense that can be offered and so HaKadosh Baruch Hu says says to uh to, Mo, to Moshe Rabbeinu again Moshe Rabbeinu goes to the Am to the nation and says to them Atem chatatem chata'a gdola v'ata'alet Hashem el Hashem ulay achapra ba'ad chatatechem he says he says himself he says to B'nai Yisrael I don't know if I can pull this off I don't know if I can defend you, you B'nai Yisrael. Because this was such a, an extraordinary transgression that it, this is nothing I can do about it. And then begins the conversation that catches our attention. If you look at the sheet, the Pasuk says, Vayashov Moshe El Hashem. And Moshe Rabbeinu returned to God with a new argument. He's going to say something. What does he say? Vayomer Ana. Ana, the word Ana means, please, I beseech you. It's one of those kinds of words that you can attach to a statement. 
but it's not really part of the statement. So the statement begins with the next word. Hata ha'am hazeh chata'ah gidola. This nation has sinned a great and grievous sin. Chata'ah gidola. Okay. What was it? Vayaslahem Elohei Zahav. And they made a golden God. Right? God's God. Something, that's what it is. So Moshe Rabbeinu begins his defense of B'nai Israel by admitting the transgression. It says, it's true. They did it. And in fact, what he's saying is, I haven't really got a defense. I don't really have a defense. Then the pasuk goes on. The next pasuk, pasuk Lamed Bet, right? Says Vata Imtisa Chatatam. Then he says to God, "This Imtisa Chatatam means to bear the burden of their sin, which is another way of saying forgive. You'll forgive them. Imtisa Chatatam. If you will forgive them. And then, it's like a kind of elliptical set. Like, it doesn't say, like, there's a, no continuation. If you, so you have to sort of, like, interject. If you forgive them, Moshe Rabbeinu says, okay, that's great. Right, then, then, I'm happy. But, im ayin, the im ayin, but, if you don't forgive them, if you don't forgive them, then I don't know what should follow. But look at what Moshe Rabbeinu said. He said, If not, erase me, erase me, Moshe Rabbeinu, from the book which you have, which you have written. Now, I can't even, I mean, thinking about this pasuk, I can't even imagine what that means. I can't even imagine what that means. What does it mean, Moshe Rabbeinu said? Oh, if you forgive them, then we'll play together. I mean, Kaviyoho, you know, say to God, if you forgive them, then we'll continue, you know, everything's great. But if you don't forgive them, I don't want anything to do with you. Erase me from the book that you have written. The book that you have written must refer to the Torah, of course. Right? Must refer to, to the Torah. It has so, the structure of like emotional blackmail. What, what, what? It has the structure of emotional blackmail. Of God. Uh, yeah. Of God. Yeah. Well, that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. Our notion of God is certainly doesn't accept that kind of idea. And we imagine that Moshe Rabbeinu knew as much about God as we know about God. Something here that's that that's unacceptable. Well, so look, I understand. So Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know that you can't blackmail God. That you can't blackmail God. I mean, he must have known it as well as we know it, right? So now let's look at Rashi. Rashi has is confronted by this problem, and he's going to solve it. So what does he say? He adds those words. Well, that's good, I'm happy. If you forgive them, we're happy. I'm sorry. 
then that's fine. Then I'm happy to continue working for you, God, and being prominently displayed in your book. I mean, this is really like, uh, like if you imagine standing before God and, and making this kind of argument, it's, it's beyond me. So then Rashi tells you that sometimes Sukkim and the Torah are written in an elliptical way. What does elliptical mean? It means that in the third grade, if you wrote such a sentence, the teacher would red pen it. That's what Nikra Katsar is. You just leave it out words. You leave out words supplied by Rashi. What word is Rashi supplying? Haretov. Right, those are the words that Rashi is supplying. V'chein Harbeh, he says. And this is not a remarkable thing. This happens a lot in the Torah. That's a different discussion. Then, Misifricha. Right, you see, Moshe Rabbeinu said, V'cheni na Misifricha. What's Misifricha from your book? What does that mean according to, uh, to Rashi? Mikol HaTorah Kula. Mikol HaTorah. Every place Moshe Rabbeinu is mentioned in the Torah, erase it. If you forgive them, okay. But if you don't forgive them, erase my name wherever it is found in the Torah. Because I don't want people to say about me, Moshe Rabbeinu, You know, somebody will come and read the Torah, and the Torah will say, B'nai Yisrael did this, Moshe Rabbeinu said that, but God didn't accept his plea. And so everybody's going to know that Moshe Rabbeinu failed. He was supposed to defend B'nai Yisrael, but he wasn't able to. And people read the Torah. This is like a kind of, uh, like, I don't know what's, what is going to happen according to Rashi. Is B'nai Yisrael going to be, continue to exist? Or are they going to be destroyed? And if they're destroyed, what kind of Torah is there? What are we talking about? What Torah is Rashi referring to that Moshe Rabbeinu wants his name is uh, erased from. So, but, but who, nobody's no one to receive that Torah anymore. That Torah only exists because somebody received it. The fact that it's in heaven, nobody's going to read it in heaven. So who's going to read the Torah if B'nai Yisrael are uh, punished severely and, and out of this world? So what, what, what's Rashi talking about? What sort of argument is this that Moshe Rabbeinu makes. So you look at the third source. Skip the Rashbam for a minute and go to Datskenim. Datskenim is usually called Datskenim Ibalei HaTosafot. And it's a collection of comments by the Balei HaTosafot who are largely the grandchildren and their friends of Rashi. Right? After Rashi, Tosafot. Right? Tosafot are... Uh, they continued... This enterprise that Rashi started, which was to figure out what the Gemara is saying exactly. So Rashi did it on the level of straightforward pshat, and Tosot did it on the level of ideas and notions. So that's Rashi and Tosot. The page of Gemara, the page of Gemara that we use, is dominated by Rashi and by Tosot, who are part of the same family. They lived in France and Germany, right? Rashi studied in Germany, lived in France, and some of his descendants were born and, and, and lived in Germany. And then, you know, that was the area, that was the great center 
of learning in what we call today Ashkenaz. Right, Ashkenaz is, uh, is Germany. So France and Germany were intellectually, from the Jewish point of view, the same. They were part of the same tradition of learning and the same enterprise of learning and even often part of the same families. So the Danskenim says this. Pirish Rashi, they like to refer to the Zaydin and to think, to talk about whether they think he's right or wrong. So Rashi says, Mikola Torah, this is about Sri's question. Mikola Torah, Vitema, the Danskenim says, Vitema, Shadayim Lobistava Torah. There was no Torah. Right, we've said many times, when was the Torah written down? When was the Torah written down? There's a machloket in the Gemara in Gittin. Either the Torah was written down during the 38 years in the desert. As Moshe Rabbeinu learned it from heaven, he wrote it down piece by piece. Right? And at the end of the 38 years in Arvot Moav, the Torah was completed. Alternatively, the Torah, Moshe taught the Torah for 38 years, but he wrote it down at the end of the 38 years, all at once. Well, those are the two opinions. Now, we'd have to decide what opinion is right, but it would seem that everybody agreed, everybody agrees that there was no Torah when Moshe came down from Har Sinai. What was there? The Luchot. That's what there was. And also, whatever was in Moshe Rabbeinu's head, which we have a little difficulty trying, we just try to figure out what that was. But Moshe Rabbeinu, in his head, had the Torah that he learned at Har Sinai. The Torah that he learned the first 40 days, the first 40 days was, uh, I don't know, I like to think of it as mitzvot versus history, as I've, I've mentioned, but uh, it doesn't matter. So the Tatskenim says, Perish Rashi, we call it Torah, Teba, Adain lo nichteva Torah, now again, Rashbam was whom? Rashi's grandson. It's the same family, right? The Tosot is the Rashbam was more like uh, the inheritor of the Rashi mantle. He finished the Perushim on on the Shas that Rashi left out, and he also wrote a running commentary to the Torah, so that the Rashbam was. Not only Rashi's grandson, but the inheritor of the Rashi enterprise. Whereas the Tosvot sort of created a new enterprise, or a different kind of enterprise. But here, the, the, the Tosvot quote the Rashbab, and what do they say about the Rashbab? Uh, what do they say about the Rashbab? There's Rashbab. Mi sifrecha ze sefer hachayim sh'adam nichtav bo berosh hashanah. He says, no, everybody knows the Gemara Rosh Hashanah, the Ted Zion Amud Bet. In the Gemara it says that there are three books that are open in heaven. Right? One is the Book of Life, one is the Book of Matsovich Life, and one, also there's a Book of Tzadikim and Rishayim, and they know me. Right? So, in other words, there's some kind of a book. There, or, there's either a book, or there's a metaphorical book. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Somehow there's this idea that in heaven, HaKadosh Baruch makes determinations about individuals. What's going to be? So the Datskenim quotes the Rashbam, who says, no, the Sifrecha is not the Torah. There was no Torah. 
But these books that are mentioned in uh, these books that are mentioned in the Gemara and Rosh Hashanah, they did exist, and that's what that's what Moshe Rabbeinu is saying. This is further elucidated in the Dats Kenim. So this is the Gemara. This is what the Gemara says. But look at the Gemara, the next source. You see, Rabbi Nachman by Yitzchak says, so what is Moshe Rabbeinu saying? What is Moshe Rabbeinu saying according to this? He turns to God and he says, If you will forgive them, great. That's what Rashi Tzareza told. It's a good thing. But if you don't forgive them, then, then I feel that I should not be allowed to be inscribed in the book of life or the book of the righteous, but move me over, mechenina misifricha, erase me from that noble position in the book of righteousness, and put me into a different book. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu said. So it's not like the Moshe Rabbeinu says two things. Moshe Rabbeinu says one thing. He says, if you if you forgive them, matov, well, that's a great thing. If you don't forgive them, then I resign. How am I going to resign? I'm going to move myself from the book of the righteous to the book of the not-so-righteous. I'm not going to accept the honor of being uh, in the righteous, in the righteous book. Uh, the what? Uh, that, that's the drasha, but here where the word Datskenim says it, he says, "V'sifrecha elo habeinonim, asher katavta elo hatzadikim." Right? That's what that's what the Rashbam says. You look at the Rashbam again. The Rashbam, Sefer Hachayim asher katavta, the book of life, not the book of Torah, which you asher katavta. Kedestiv kol hakatuv lechayim biyushalayim. So there's a positive in Yeshayahu. There's a positive in Yeshayahu that connects Chayim and Katuv. Like there's a place where the living are written down. That's what it says in the book of Yeshayahu. So there is this. But the point is, the point is that this Kasha, that I think, I'll tell you what I think the point is, that this Kasha that the Tosus asked on Rashi, which was, what are you talking about, Rashi? There's no safety Torah. Right, that was the kasha. That kasha remains both according to the Rashbam and according to the Tosaf. That Rashi is wrong because there was no Sefer Torah. Now we could uh, probably answer that question somehow. Can answer that question, but really, all of them agree. All of them agree that Moshe Rabbeinu is not making a counter argument. He's not saying if you forgive them, good, but if you don't forgive them. We're going to go to war. We're going to have a battle. We're going to do something. No, we're not going to do anything. One of the implications of not forgiving B'nai Yisrael 
is Mecheni Nam Sifricha. Exactly what the Sifricha is and how the Mecheni now works. Okay, we could, we could like try to fine tune those details. But in terms of understanding the Pasuk, in terms of understanding the Pasuk, that's what Moshe said. If, if you forgive them, we can continue as we were. I will lead B'nai Yisrael, I will try to get them to do the right thing, I'll take them to Eretz Yisrael. But in I am, in I am then, then not only should they have the consequence fall upon them, but the consequence should fall upon me as well. That's what, that's what, the, um, that's what the Pulsic says. So I think we're left with this, uh, we're left with the question. So what does Mecheni na mean? I mean, why did Moshe Rabbeinu say that? Maybe the Dutch came in right that, that this was a kind of a, a feeling of defeat that Moshe Rabbeinu had. That he, had, that he was not successful. That he was not successful in saving B'nai Yisrael. In order to understand this, I want to learn with you this section of the uh, Lekute Maran of Rav Nachman Nebratzlo. lived like 800 years after Rashi, 700 years after Tosa, that took, like all this time, it was percolating away. You know, like, what's going on here? And Nachman of Rasul, I think, has a very interesting way of solving the problem. So if you look at this, it's in, uh, it says, Likute Maran, Madura Kama, that means the first part of the book, the fourth uh, Torah. And the fourth Torah, and the paragraph starts off with the letter Zion, right? Starts with the letter Zion. And what we want to do is look at, uh, I'll tell you, two, three, four, five, six, the seventh line. The seventh line, the sixth word. The sixth word says, Ubishvil Zet. Do you see that? The seventh line, the sixth word? This is the real McCoy. <laughs> this is real Rabnachal This is not like dancing in Kikatsio. This is, uh, you know, it is the attraction that, uh, that Braslav has today for a lot of people has nothing to do with this, with Lukute Maran, which is the greatest, his greatest effort. It has only it has more to do with the fact that uh, you know that they're nice people. You know, you feel good about being part of that group. Uh, but uh, you have to. You know, it's the other people who learn this stuff. Like I'm not part of the group, but I learn it. The people who are part of the group don't have to learn it because they're part of the group. You know, it's like uh, it's like they look at me and they say, "Oh, you're just trying to get into the group." <laughs> I can't convince them that I'm not so interested. But in any event, in any event, what? Well, you have uh, the, the, the Rabbi Nachman was really remarkable. You know, a person who, uh, who had a lot of troubles in his lifetime, had emotional difficulties, personal emotional difficulties. He died when he was 36 or 37 which to me seems like a rather young age, you know. I can't even remember when I was 36 or 37, you know. I can vaguely, vaguely remember my bar mitzvah, but there's like a big, 
I ate it, you know. <laughs> and you listen to what Rav Nachman of Raza says, it's, it's, it's really something. Rav Nachman says, Bishvil Zeh, Kshet Palel Moshe Al Chaita Egel. When Moshe Rabbeinu davened Al Chaita Egel, it was he, he tried to get God to forgive Al Chaita Egel. Amar, this is what he said. Right, quote from a posuk, which is why it appears in quotes on the page here. That's the posuk, our posuk. It's inconceivable. This is how, uh, how the Hebrew, how uh, Rav Nosson wrote Hebrew. It is not possible to imagine. What's not possible to imagine? Shelo adam Gadlut means um, haughtiness. Gadlut means a feeling that you're better than everybody. He says, he says it's minhanimna. It is not possible for a person to remain unaffected by this midara, by this uh, by the, by this mida. So he says. Um, a person listens to you know, you know you know like very rich people they give money to something or other they make a dinner in their honor right well you make a dinner in their honor because they gave a lot of money to some institution and then everybody gets up and praises them effusively so everybody knows they're only doing it because he gave the money but nevertheless, the person who's being praised sits there and smiles away, you know, he's so happy. Like he believes every word of it. Even though he knows somehow that it's not really true, but he believes it. So that praise is like an infection. You know, it gets into you. Praise gets into you. So he says, he says, Kol so how is it when a great king would come along and praise praise a person, Adam, praise a person, so he says, in such a case, the, the, the king is praising you, you know, like you go, uh, and the queen of England takes that sword and bangs you over the head, you become a lord. So you believe it. Like you, like you want to be a lord, even though it doesn't mean much, but you want it. And you want to be in the newspaper and you want to see that sword come clacking down on your shoulder. I don't know how she does it. Does she still do it? Is she yeah, still... Ah, yeah, but she's got to be strong to pick up the sword. I know she doesn't kill the people who become lords, but... But it's sort of like, she says, you're the greatest. Queen Elizabeth, she's the greatest. And he says, you're the greatest. Elton John, you're the greatest, right? So he's the greatest. He's like, there's no doubt about that. So, that's what he says. He says, it's impossible to be praised by the king and not be infected by the media of haughtiness. Not possible. He says, "About Sarich Lazeh, Bitul Kol Ha 
הרגשותיו וחמיותיו. In order to avoid this מידה, you have to sort of deny anything physical about yourself, any kind of acquisitory nature that you might have, and, and, and then maybe you could overcome. Then if the Queen of England hits you with the, with the sword, you say, oh, big deal, but otherwise you fall for it. If you are able to control your emotions, and control your needs for, for real things in the world, then you could even get praised by the king, and you won't feel, uh, uh, you won't lose your sense, your balance, your understanding about, about yourself. Lo yavolo shum gadlut. In such a case, you won't, you won't be impressed. You won't say, oh, I'm really something special. Oh, oh. You know, you'll go the next morning and do the things you have to do and you won't act as though you suddenly be granted a special exclusion from the rest of the human race. So uh, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to walk around and say, it's been gorgeous, I'm gorgeous, I'm gorgeous. First of all, he's not talking about what you're supposed to do. He's just telling you this distinction that if a person is praised, a person is praised, it, it, it affects you. Because, yeah, it didn't say it's a terrible thing. Didn't say that yet, but he said it affects you. Kemo Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe, who is Kemo? What is Kemo Moshe Rabbeinu? He had control of his physical needs, his spiritual needs, and therefore he was not impressed by praise. Shera'a katu b'Torah va'yidaber Hashem el Moshe va'yom Hashem el Moshe. It was he saw Katuba Torah Ephem. Where did Moshe Rabbeinu see that? Where did Moshe Rabbeinu? This we're talking about that pasuk, our pasuk in Kitisa, which says Im Ayin Mecheinin Amisifracha. What sefer does Rab Nachman say it's referring to? The sefer that only existed in heaven. Who said that before? Somebody said that. The sefer. You said it's sweet. There was a book that existed in heaven. I don't know what it looked like. But it was the final version of the Torah, according to Rabbi Nachman. I'm going to argue about this. The final version of the, of the Torah was somehow known to Moshe Rabbeinu. And when he came down from Har Sinai, what did Moshe Rabbeinu know? What was the thing that he knew especially? That the Torah was full of sukim that mentioned Moshe Rabbeinu. By the again and again and again. So Moshe Rabbeinu, if it wasn't Moshe Rabbeinu, he would have been really impressed. He would say, "Gee, it must be very important. I must be very special. It really, it must be my due to have all this this kind of uh, 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 billboard announcement of myself in the Torah." That's what that's what he's talking about. Okay, historically, this is like a little... He says, and Yisrael, the people would read the Torah every day, and in the Torah they'd find how important Moshe Rabbeinu was. Of course, I mean, that's pretty important. <laughs> 
והוא בעצמו מספר להם שבחיו. והוא בעצמו, he himself would tell them his שבחים. What does that mean? When Moshe Rabbeinu would teach them the Torah, when every time God told them the next part of the Torah to teach for the Israel, so word for word, it started off. Vayom HaShem, Moshe Leimos. Moshe himself is not only the recipient of the honor, but he is the one who is disseminating the information about this, about this honor. Velo hayale Moshe shum hit pa'arut v'gadlut mizeh. But you should know that Moshe did not affect him, didn't go to his head, he didn't think highly of himself because of it. He was unchanged. Moshe katuv vaish Moshe anav ma'od. And I've said, you know, many times that anivut or anava, humility, is what you have when you know that what, what they're fighting about is not worth it because you have something better. That's what Anava Adava. Adava is that, you know, if you're the rabbi in the shul and you get that seat over there, so you're not going to be annoyed by somebody else sitting in that seat because you already have a better seat. So he says, that's what, that's what Anava means. How is Moshe Rabbeinu Anav? He was, he confronted God. It was, he was the sublime human being. He talked to God. He, he was the next person after Adam HaRishon who, for whom God was available. Right? You could just talk to God. So he's not going to fight about where he sits in shul. I mean, it's not... the definition again of humility? Humility is when uh, you are you're in a place where the things that most people fight about or are concerned about don't exist. Yeah, they don't exist for you. Like Kavod and what he calls Tiferet. You have it all. You have it in a different way. It was humility is not denial of self. It's not, I'm not worth anything. Or I don't do anything. Humility is a different... You order things differently. But all those things that people think are very important are just not important to you at all. And money. That's, what? Money. Money. Money because money is only I mean, money things that money could buy. But things that money can buy are about Olam Hazeh. And a person who's got one foot with God in Olam Haba, I mean, why would, why would he care about Olam Hazeh? You know that story about the Chavetz Chaim? They tell that story about the Chavetz Chaim that these tourists came to the Chavetz Chaim in Radim. American tourists and they saw how he lived you know he, he, he was very poor he lived very poorly he didn't have a floor in his house it was a uh, earthen floor and every Friday the Chavetz Chaim would take sawdust and sprinkle the sawdust on the floor the Chavetz Shabbos so these tourists American tourists it was like like uh, the two great tourists in the world are the Americans and the Israelis I know that the great the great tourists, the, to the American tourists came, they told them, it's the Chavetz Chaim, he's a great rabbi. And so they came in, and they saw how the Chavetz Chaim lived. So they said, oh, rabbi, it's terrible that you live this way. Say, we'll buy you furniture, we'll put a floor in your house, and uh, just, you know, just tell us how much money it costs, we'll leave the money right here. So Chavetz Chaim said to them, I don't understand, he says, he says to these Americans, he says, he says to them, 
It's really a story about Americans. So he said, so he said to them, he said, but I would say, where's your, uh, where's your couch? And where's your floor? So they said, well, at home. We live in America. We're only tourists here in Raden. So Chavitz Chaim said, me too. I'm also a tourist here in, in Raden. So I want to get stuff. So that was the, uh, what? August was 19, we came and died in Jordan. No, no, August was a very, very uh, plain person. And they had no airs about him. And he would wear clothing that was not, you know, he didn't, he wasn't like the former chief rabbi of Israel, you know, who was a clothes horse. Uh, he didn't like that. They asked him once, they said, that covenant Torah, you're such an important person, how come you don't? So he said, when he was 19, he became a die in the Rav Chaim Moshe's Bezdin in Bilba. And when he came to the Bezdin, the first time he came, they all stood up, all the Dayan. He says, uh, that's it, you know, you can't get any better than that. So, so he wasn't worried about COVID. He wasn't worried about COVID. But it's a hard thing. But according to Rav Nachman, Moshe Rabbeinu had it. He wasn't interested in COVID. He, he had a job, and he did the job. So now let's look. That's why Ish Moshe Uvadai al yidei an vitanuto. Because of his humility, ayakoach biyad Moshe lechaber avon ha'egel. And you would think that this humility that Moshe Rabbeinu had possessed would have made him an outstanding defender of Am Yisrael, and even a transgression such as Cheta Ega. The, the golden calf, even such a transgression, Moshe Rabbeinu could, could overcome. He could plead the case to God. A person who has chokhmah, who understands things, can atone for the sin. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, Im ayin. He says, Im, Im, what does the Pesach say? What does the Pesach say? The Pesach says, Im tisachatotachatatav, if you forgive them, then I am, if you don't forgive them, becheni nam b'sifricha. So he says, Im ayin, Im ayin, hainu, Im lo tisachatatav, if you don't forgive them, baze atam ar'eh, so what does that mean? What's the chat Moshe Rabbeinu says? If you don't forgive the Israel, it's because I, Moshe Rabbeinu, am not doing the job. If, how could I be not doing the job? Because I, I don't have the anava, I don't have the humility that I should have. There's something wrong with me. If I had the proper humility having spoken to God and received the Torah, and, I, and I, was, I was really untainted by all of that, that I would be able to save the Jewish people. So how come I can't save them? What's my problem? So he says, uh, she, Bechein, na, 
מחני נא כדי שלא אכשל בגדלות שאני רואה ושומע בכל עת סיפור שמי ושבחי בתורה כי מי יוכל לעמוד בזה. So there you have it. רב נחמן says, משה רבנו turn to God. He says, if you forgive them, okay, I understand, I did the job. I did what I was supposed to do to defend B'day Yisrael. But if I, you don't forgive them, that means that somehow I'm not appropriate for this job. I've lost my, my, my edge, the reason that I was appointed, the reason that Moshe Rabbeinu was appointed to lead the Jewish people was because he had this capacity to defend them. Period. So he says, if, I, if you don't accept my defense, if God does not defend, it's got to mean that there's something wrong with me. What's wrong with me? I've lost my humility to some extent. What could be? I mean, Osher Benjamin came down from High Sinai. So, what could be the cause for losing the humility? The fact that the Torah says, So, Moshe Benjamin says to Kodesh Baruch, If I'm not good enough, it must be because of the honor I was given in the Sefer Torah. And in order to overcome that deficiency, mechayni na mesifricho. Solution instead of threat. Yes, yes, there's a solution. means I want to be able to do the job. I want to be able to defend B'nai Israel. The only avera that I can think that I might have is this lack of humility, which I got because I looked at the Torah. And the only way to overcome that is take out all those psukim that say by Yom HaShem or Moshe Lemo and just write by Yom HaShem. That was the argument that Moshe Rabbeinu made when he said Mecheni No. And the answer, HaKadosh Baruch answers him, HaKadosh Baruch says to, to Moshe Rabbeinu <coughs> What? I imagine you're right, but I don't. I don't hear what you're saying. He says, "Abayoma Hashem al Moshe miyashachatali emchenu misifri." That this is such a a, a great a, a, a transgression that Moshe Rabbeinu could only act in part to save the Jewish people, but not entirely. And then it says. It says, "Vata." Kodesh Baruch adds, "Lech lechayet ha'am elasher dibati lachinei malachi elech lovadecha." The angel will will lead you to Eretz Yisrael. Listen, uviyom pakdi uvakadeti alehim chatatam. So what happened? How come Bnei Yisrael forgave Bnei Yisrael? How come Kodesh Baruch forgave Bnei Yisrael? Question. The answer is, Kodesh Baruch did not forgive Bnei Yisrael. It says, "Uviyom pakdi." Rashi explains that whenever the Jewish people are punished as a people they get a little extra punishment for the Chaita Ego which was never resolved it was never resolved but the, but the, the Tana of Moshe Rabbeinu is based on this idea it's based on that if you if HaKadosh Baruch appoints a defense attorney for B'nai Yisrael and that was Moshe Rabbeinu it's inconceivable, what's inconceivable? That he would not be able to defend them. It, it, it doesn't work that way. That, that's only, uh, we, we work that way. 
But if HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Moshe made a lead B'nai Yisrael out of Mitzrayim. It didn't, mean, it didn't mean that Moshe Rabbeinu was in charge of the compass. You know, which way is north and which way is east. It meant that he was supposed to make sure that they got from Har Sinai to, uh, uh, got to Eretz Yisrael in the proper way. That they were proper, that they were deserving. That was Moshe Rabbeinu's job. And also, if he got the job, it's inconceivable that he would fail at it. Just doesn't make any sense. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, if I seem to be failing at the job, it must be because I have, something happened to me between the time I was appointed and this time. The only thing that happened to Moshe Rabbeinu was Har Sinai. And Har Sinai was the source, according to him, of, of his lack of humility. And so Moshe Rabbeinu said, to correct that, to make me worthy of doing the job that I was appointed to do, erase my name from the book, and therefore the source of the gava, the lack of, of humility, will be erased. As, as it will be erased as well. Yes, but God doesn't forgive their sin. Doesn't forgive us ultimately, but forgive, but we would never punish totally. At the beginning, God said, we'll get rid of B'nai Yisrael, make Moshe Rabbeinu into a new nation. That was not, that wasn't what happened. What happened was that B'nai Yisrael continued, albeit carrying the weight, the burden of this sin that they always have to deal with. That's what? He says, you, God, bear the sin. But that doesn't happen. Right, it doesn't happen in a, entirely, but it happens more or less. So maybe... You know, as God says to Moshe Rabbeinu that you are successful. Maybe not completely successful because the nature of the sin is so offensive to heaven that uh, it couldn't be complete. What? Yeah. Can you explain the Yishacham If you have the wisdom of Torah, which in Mishlei means that you have all these Midot Tovot, you have a special power. I mean, that's what all in Hasidus, everybody always was certain that if you went to the Rebbe, you could get a special, uh, I don't know, a special easement from the Rebbe for things that you did wrong. Uh, so that's his job, to be the smartest, not just on your but the no, smartest not in order to beg forgiveness. Right, but in smart, Chacham means Torah. Torah smart. It doesn't mean okay. just knowledge, but it means you can really do it. You can do what you're supposed to do, yeah. So it's not on your no, but it is. Anava is the main ingredient. That's what Nase Adam Mitzalmenu Kidmuseinu. Something I also like to say. Nase Adam Mitzalmenu Kidmuseinu. What does Rashi say? That doesn't mean anything to say God has humility. But you could translate it in a different way and say that God created humility. Because that was something that man needed in order to achieve uh, superiority. They needed the anava, And it's true that Moshe Rabbeinu, the epitaph of Moshe Rabbeinu, in the Torah itself, is anav mikol adam. That's of all the things Moshe Rabbeinu did, that's what the Torah chose to say about him. That allowed him to become chacham mishchacham. Well, yeah, 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 altogether, it was it was the main ingredient in the chokhmah 
that allows him to seek atonement for the others of Bnei Yisrael. So you see that the Chiddush of Rav Nachman of Brazil, which I say took 800 years to think about, is that that Mecheinina means something. You know, in other words, uh, it's hard to know if you're just talking about about the sin of Bnei Yisrael and that, you know, if you don't forgive them, so what difference does it make if you if you erase Moshe Rabbeinu from the book, we're not even sure that such a book existed. Right? But the way Rav Nachman tells it is that Moshe Rabbeinu saw the Torah when he was on Har Sinai, and he saw somehow that ultimately this Pesach, Vayom HaShem Moshe Limor, would be included again and again in the Torah. And that Pesach, that Pesach was what might have made uh, um, uh, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu lack a little humility that he needed in order to present himself to the Rebbe Shlomo. Have a good shot